Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. It's good to see you. I invite you this morning to turn to Mark chapter 11 as we continue our series called Talk With Me, uh, where we over this last beginning of this year, one of the things I said was a goal for us personally and as a church is that we would reclaim the centrality of a fervent prayer life, what it means to talk honestly and openly uh, in full transparency with God. And that can look and take a lot of different shapes. That can be talking about uh, asking for forgiveness. We need to do that. We need to clear the air with God. It could be taking petitions before God and asking God to do something that only God can do. You know, I was thinking about it specifically this morning. Early this morning, one of our church members went to be with the Lord, Garrett Smith, and someone that we had long prayed for over these last couple of years that that God would do something to heal this man. And I just remember talking with my mom. They they live about four hours away from here, and they'll tap in through the live stream. And and I just remember the mornings when Garrett would be be up here on the stage and leading worship. You know, his hand, man, his hand was up. I mean, you just knew that when Garrett was up here, he was absolutely worshiping the Lord. And just as a church family, when he had cancer, and say, Lord, if you would heal this man, and we should be praying those kinds of things. That's why we're talking about what we're talking about. There's a lot that can go on when you are communicating with God. I don't know if you've started to reclaim the centrality of prayer in your life, but you know what? Today is a good day to start and to talk with them. In Mark chapter 11, you see this famous passage of scripture about mountains. This last year, I've seen some mountains, uh, partly literally, uh, when you go to the east side of Turkey or in Egypt, going out to the Mount Sinai range, I've seen some mountains this year. I've also seen some other kinds of mountains this year. And they're not the imposing physical structures that were in front of me. Some of them have been spiritual. Some of them have been emotional. Uh, Some of those have been medical. Those are always great fun, aren't they? It's like they say, you know, if, if, if you're not dealing with a mountain, just hold on because you will. There is one that is coming. And what I would hope is, like a good student, uh, you would be prepared for the test before the test shows up rather than the test show up and you go, I sure wish I had some answers here. What I'm trying to do is to take you through the word so that you can tap into something that is deeper and greater than yourself and experience God in ways that you never have before. And that's by you cultivating a conversational relationship with God. And there's this moment. When you think about mountains in scripture, they're symbolic of a number of things. Uh, It could literally be a physical mountain. It could be a kingdom. The kingdom of God is sometimes called a mountain. The kingdom of Satan, sometimes called a mountain. The kingdom of men, by the way, people like us, sometimes in scripture is referred to as a mountain. It can also be what is seemingly an impossible situation. It can also be that kind of mountain. The bottom line is it's the kind of thing that you can't move but you also know simultaneously it isn't going anywhere. Have you ever experienced something like that in your life? Well, there it is. And then you wake up the next day and you go, well, there it is again. That's what we're talking about with mountains. 
In Mark's gospel, Jesus and Peter, they're having a chat about mountains. Uh, And before discussing them, Peter makes an observation about a, a fig tree that has leaves, but it's not bearing any fruit. And you kind of have to get to this part before you can get to the mountain part. So let's, let's hold on. In Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 12, here's what it says. It says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. That makes sense, doesn't it? And when he reached it, <clears throat> he found nothing but leaves because it wasn't the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. And in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. I mean, this thing's gone. It's dead. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Did you catch on to a little something here in this moment between Peter and Jesus? He pronounces a curse yesterday. And then what he said yesterday has happened today. That's pretty fast. What, in other words, what you said to the tree reversed the situation. A spoken word from Jesus reversed the situation. Now, I want you to picture this. Jesus needs a snack. And in that sense, he's just like me and you. He gets hungry, he gets thirsty. And he sees this tree with the leaves, and he's like, well. And the leaves should indicate, on the one hand, it gives you this idea, maybe that there's something there that we could eat. However, did you notice in Mark, it says it's not in season yet. Did you catch that? And so Jesus walks up to the tree that's not in season to actually yield anything. And because it's not yielding anything, he puts a curse down on it. Does that strike anybody in the room as a little bit strange? It does if you're kind of reading it, but there's something that you need to keep in mind. When it's producing leaves on the outside, often in this season, it would, it would produce buds. And what Jesus was doing is he was walking up to the tree to look for the buds that would give an indication of a life in this tree. What the tree, in other words, is meant and designed to actually produce. But he walks up and he's not so much worried about the leaves. Instead, what he's looking at is he's seeing there are no buds there. And so what's actually going on with the tree is that the buds that were supposed to be there, that were supposed to give an indication of a vital life on the inside of the tree, he already saw by coming up and looking at it, it just ain't there. And so what he does is he puts a curse on the tree. There was an outward showing that appears one way for the tree um, when what's going on the inside of the tree is revealing something very different. Did you know that spiritually speaking, it can be the exact same way. Uh, there are persons that have, at least on the exterior of things, they can have what gives the picture of a vital Christian life tapped into a deep and abiding relationship with God when in fact, there's nothing really going on on the inside. It has the appearance of reality, but it doesn't actually have any substance. So I let Tony Evans say it like this, the look is good, there just doesn't have to be any substance, there's not any substance that's really there. Did you notice something here? There's something between the first day where Jesus sees the tree and curses it, and the second day when it's found dead. And you see this in verses 15 through 17. It says, on reaching Jerusalem, remember the guys were journeying, right? And on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts, And he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He's ticked, by the way. 
He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he wouldn't allow anyone to carry merchandise and, and who would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer? Did you catch on to something? So the day before, Jesus is hungry, goes to a tree, there's no figs, and so there's no reality. The next day, Jesus goes to the temple. What do you think you should be finding when you go to the temple? Where he should have found people that were worshiping God, living for God, he found an empty and fake religion. Basically, the temple is not much different from the tree that he had just encountered the day before. See, just like the tree is the right place for figs, the house of God is the right place for worship. And he wasn't finding figs, and he wasn't finding worship. He was finding a facade. And I don't know if you caught this, but it ticked him off a little bit. He's angry. If you can imagine Jesus slinging tables, and there was a reason for this. You had people that were coming to make an offering to God. That seems to be a good thing, right? But what you had was these people that were basically blocking it off saying, well, hold on a second. I see you brought a dove today. Let me take a look at your dove. And so they'd look at it, well, this dove isn't quite good enough. Throw it to the side. But I've got this dove right here for you and you can have it and offer it to God for only five shekels. It was something like that going on. In other words, you, they were going to the temple and what he found going on to the temple was a lot of business relationships, a lot of friends, a lot of transactions, a lot of leaving people out and manipulating them and using them. And Jesus goes, not in my house. And he shut it down. Sometimes we got to get to the point of Jesus where he's not necessarily gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but serious Jesus who takes his kingdom and what he's about and he puts it back in place for his church. We gotta get back to the place where we look at Jesus and he says, there is an end of my patience. And that was this moment for them. So again, just like the tree is the right place for the figs, the house of God is the right place for worship. Just like the, the fig tree had leaves, the leaves of the church should mean that you're gonna find God in this place. Wherever church you are, you are going to encounter God there. His presence is here. His power is here. That's the kind of stuff that we should be expectant for when we come to church. Something's happening in this place and the people are genuinely and really tapped into it, not just using people for their own gain and good. That's what we should see in a church. And instead, what did Jesus? He found that there was no reality to the faith that they were projecting to the people around them. Reminded me of a little bit of a story. Chuck Smidall shared this years ago. He said, in Long Beach, California, a fellow went into a fried chicken place and bought a couple of chicken dinners for himself and his date one afternoon. The young woman at the counter inadvertently gave him the proceeds from a, a day. I'm still trying to figure out how that happened, but she did it. A whole bag of money, most of it cash, instead of fried chicken. <laughs> After driving to their picnic site, the two of them sat down to open the meal and enjoy some chicken together. They discovered a whole lot more than chicken. They discovered more than $800. But this guy was unusual. He quickly put the money back in the bag. They got back into the car. They drove all the way back. Who Chuck Swindoll called Mr. Clean, he got out walked in, became an instant hero. 
By then, by the, the manager was absolutely frantic. The guy with a bag of money looked at the manager in the eye and he said, I want you to know, I came by to get a couple of chicken dinners and wound up with all this money. Here you go. Now, as you can imagine, the manager was absolutely thrilled to death. I mean, you would be too, right? The manager was thrilled. And he said, that's great. Let me call the newspaper. I'm gonna have your picture put in the local newspaper. You're the most honest man that I think that I've ever met. And the guy grabs him and he says, uh, no, please don't do that. The woman that I'm with is not my wife. <laughs> now that, that might be what we call an apparent character. Actually, that's just what we call a character, right? Apparent character, but maybe not real and consistent character. Is that fair? Likewise, when it comes to the house of God, gotta be careful. What Jesus was talking about here, lots of business, no spiritual reality. And it's just not what his house is about. Instead, Jesus quotes Isaiah 56, seven, my house will be known as a house of what? Prayer. That's what this is about. So let me get back to the fig tree. Peter's looking at the tree. Uh, a little, bit, uh, a little bit caught up by it. Wouldn't you be though? I mean, a day later and the thing is like dead? That's impressive. He sees it's dead and he's sitting there staring at it. Mark's gospel is he's just staring at it. He's like, how did this happen? Jesus is right there looking at him. Peter's not saying anything. He's just looking at the tree. And Peter, he's, Jesus says something to Peter because he can tell Peter's trying to figure out what just happened here. And look at verse 22. Jesus answers him a question that Peter didn't ask. He said, have faith in God. Peter's sitting there going, how? How? In his head. And Jesus says, have faith in God. Hmm. Just so you know, when we talk about having faith in something, because everybody has faith, everybody, it means that we're putting our trust or our confidence in it. That's what the word means. That's why we're all people of faith. You put your trust or your confidence in but this is what's so important about faith. Your faith is only as good as the substance of what you put your faith in. Did everybody hear what I just said? Because I can repeat it. Your faith is only as good as the substance of what you put your faith in. Now, I wanna be clear here. Your faith might be small, but if the object of your faith is great, that is what you needed. Your faith is going to have seasons where it shifts, it ebbs and flows. But if the object of your faith is great, that is what you needed. A little faith in the right thing is better than lots of faith in the wrong thing. In uh, Matthew's gospel, Matthew renders this story and he says, you know, the mustard seed. If you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, which by the way, looks like a little speck in the palm of your hand if you've ever held a mustard seed. But when it actually yields a plant, it grows up into something that's absolutely huge. Something that starts very, very small has the potential to bloom into something that's really impressive. And in Matthew's gospel, he says, your faith is a lot like that. Typically, it starts with something very small and then it grows and matures into something that's big and beautiful. And the means of having mustard seed faith is praying and fasting. That's the how. Because you're tapped in to the source of your growth and your spiritual maturity. See, this truth changes the way that we see mountains. It changes the way that we see mountains as well as what we do with them. 
See, we're not just supposed to see the mountain as a mountain. We're supposed to do something with it. That's why we look at verse 23. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. As just so you know, this probably clicked for these guys because most scholars think they're standing there by the Mount of Olives, so it's literally looking at something. The Dead Sea is not that far away, and so it'd be like, hey, God has the power literally to lift this thing up and drop it over into this water. Now, did he lift the mountain up like Yoda in front of these guys that day and drop it over in the Dead Sea? And the answer is no. He's trying to make a spiritual application that these guys can understand by looking at something as what would be as imposing as a mountain that's physically in front of them, something that's big. Here's what Jesus is telling Peter. If you have faith, you got figs on the tree and then you can do with your mountain what I did to the tree. You can do with your mountain what I did to the tree. And what did he do to the tree? He killed it. Faith has the power to destroy the mountain. Even look at verses 24 and 25. He says, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, it will be yours. Did you catch it? Believe you have received it, even though you haven't received it yet. Believe it. Now, I wanna give you an important note. How many of you have prayed for something and I'm talking fervent, honest prayer to God and you didn't get it. It's okay, can I see your hands? I'll raise mine because the way that I started this was for a couple of years I prayed for a brother in our church that he would be healed. He didn't get the miracle. He got heaven, but he didn't get the miracle. Sometimes it's okay to feel, I don't know what's going on here. Sometimes moments that are right in front of you, they're gonna make you feel like that. I don't know what's going on here. Here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. God is good. Amen. I do know that. And for whatever I take from my circumstances, whatever it is that I take that's in front of me, I always start there. God is good. God is good. There are some things that God just decides to do, my friends. And the reason is, is because it is God's sovereign prerogative to do it. There are just some things that God sets. Like right now, I am firmly convinced that God knows the day and the hour that he's going to take me home. You know who doesn't know that? This guy. <laughs> I don't. I don't have a clue. I also don't know the how. I don't know how God is gonna take me home. The one thing that I mainly pray is that it wouldn't be painful. <laughs> I was just shooting straight. Like, I mean, we want to be honest with God. He knows, I don't. There's some things that God just sets. But did you notice that here, it's like, pray about things. If you have faith, you got the figs on the tree. Pray in faith to God. There are other things that happen if we pray. The things that have not yet been set by God. We're supposed to be asking God to move and to do things that would reveal something of his character and his goodness and his glory to other people. Sometimes we don't get what we ask for because we're not praying in faith. There's no trust. There's no confidence. Sometimes we don't get what we're asked for because we're not obedient to his will for us. We've already seen that in 1 Peter 3. He says, I'm not answering your prayers because the way that you treat your spouse is hindering me from even listening to you. Start with where I told you to start. 
Sometimes sin just flat blocks the flow of the power of prayer in our lives. Sometimes, James chapter four, you didn't ask and so you didn't receive. There are a lot of things that we could factor in. But we're given this word is that for those things that are not yet set by God, we're supposed to be petitioning God for these things. That's our part. Did you catch? Jesus was saying, ask me, talk with me, put this in front of me. Sometimes we have not because we ask not. I, I, I want, Charles Spurgeon was a famous preacher. And he said, when you go to God in prayer, I want you to pray in the spirit. When you go to God in prayer, I want you to pray in, in the spirit. That is in the Holy Spirit. Here's what he means by that. It is spirit-guided prayer. Let, let me quote him. He said, he, the spirit, guides us in prayer. Thus he helps our infirmities. But the blessed spirit does more than this. He will often direct the mind to the special subject of prayer. He dwells within us as our counselor and he points out to us what it is we should seek at the hands of God. We do not know why it is so, but we sometimes find our minds carried as by a strong undercurrent into a particular line of prayer for some definite purpose. It's not merely that our judgment leads us in that direction, though usually the Spirit of God acts upon us by enlightening our judgment, but we also feel an unaccountable and irresistible desire rising within our hearts. And here's what he went on to say. He will guide you both negatively and positively. Negatively, he will forbid you to pray for certain things just as Paul tried to, quote, go into Bithynia, but the Spirit told him no in Acts 16. On the other hand, he will, call you to, he will call, cause you to hear a cry within your soul that will guide your petitions, even as he made Paul to hear the cry from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. Also in Acts chapter 16, the spirit guides you in the things that you pray for. We're reminded of this truth in John chapter five, verse 14 and 15. It says, if we ask according to his will, if we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, he will grant what we have requested because we're praying in alignment with his will. He'll give it. Have you ever had these moments in your prayer time where you've been given some assurance by God that he's gonna answer your prayer? Because if so, you're not alone. That his spirit testifies with your spirit, I'm going to grant this. Notice before that Jesus says, if you pray, knowing in advance that you receive it. Cotton Mather was a, a famous uh, Puritan theologian. And those of you that have ever heard of Jonathan Edwards, Cotton Mather was really influential on Jonathan Edwards. Here's what Cotton Mather said. He said, sometimes God gives a special faith to believers during prayer that assures them of what's going, what he's going to do. In addition to general faith in Christ, there's a particular faith that is granted to believers now and then. Notice, not all the time but it's granted to believers now and then under the, under the energy of some superior cause, a strong impression made upon his mind, which dissolves him in a flood of tears and assures him, you shall have the petition which you desire of God. And Mather went on to say, the impression is born upon his mind with as clear a light and as full a force as if it were heaven angelically. These are instances of the prophetic spirit on a believer that God speaks to you and says, I'm gonna give you that. You ever had that moment? Sometimes God gives us foreknowledge about situations he wants us to get prepared for. You ever seen this in scripture? The Holy Spirit told the apostle Paul, for example, 
that danger awaited a ship that he sailed on, which helped prepare Paul to minister to the passengers when it happened and convinced those on the ship to listen to him, he told him in advance. The prophet Agabus warned that a famine would affect the whole Roman world in Acts chapter 11. Hadn't happened yet. Agabus, it's coming. And it happened. This is what happens when his spirit testifies with our spirit about what he's about to do. And he prepares us in a way, not just to receive it, but so that we can spread the blessing that God is doing with others around us. Sometimes he just speaks to us when we're quiet enough in our prayer time and listen. He'll talk to you. Let me give you a final thought. And you see this in verse 25. Have you caught on to the fact that sometimes there are conditions with God's answering our prayers? Have you caught on to that yet? Remember, 1 Peter 3, what is this hindering your prayer life? What was the way that they were treating their spouse? Right? It hinders, blocks the flow. In verse 25, there's something else that was revealed. Jesus says, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Did you catch this? Forgiveness is a condition of moving mountains. Isn't that interesting? Our having a forgiving spirit for someone that has genuinely wronged us, not apparently wronged us or didn't just give us our way, we're talking about genuinely wronged us, having a forgiving spirit can block the flow of the power of prayer in your life. Notice that forgiveness isn't the same as reconciliation. There's some people you forgive, you just can't reconcile with for a lot of reasons. Some aren't bad. Sometimes they, they, they live, they've passed away. Sometimes they won't let you reconcile. Remember Paul in Romans 12, 18, it says, insofar it's up to you, be at peace with everyone. Not everything's up to you. There is another side of a relationship and if they're not ponying up on their end, what you can know is on your side that you did everything that Jesus asked out of you on your end. You can know that. You can be at peace with that. Forgiveness isn't the same as reconciliation, but let me say this. Forgiveness is not trying to get revenge against someone who wronged you. Y'all tracking me on that? Because what you want from God is forgiveness and what you want for others is not for them to experience the same kind of forgiveness when they've wronged you. And Jesus says, I need you to stop and pump your brakes, back up, and to have the same spirit with others that I have with you. Here's what we know about Jesus. His grace is sufficient to cover a multitude of sins, isn't it? It's enough. You don't need any more than that. But once we got it, we embody it. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.